0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and Billy Idol wannabe, Noelle LaCroix.
1: And I'm researcher and creature of the night, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Sleeper, the eighth episode of season seven sleeper aired on november 19th 2002 and was written by jane epsonson and david fury and directed by alan j levi
0: still pretty as a fully spoiled full spectrum buffy podcast so if you haven't seen all of the show go take care of that and we'll stay here obviously for um sex
1: if i get vamped i'm gonna bite your ass let's go on patrol In Sleeper, we pick up right where conversations with dead people left off. Buffy goes to Xander's apartment to confront Spike about siring Holden Webster. But Spike is out, busily digging a grave for the woman he took home from the bronze while humming to himself. In London, a man arrives home to find a woman lying dead on the floor. While he investigates the body, two robed figures attack him with a dagger. Willow arrives at the Summer's house to find Dawn sitting in what's left of the living room. Dawn tells Willow that she saw Joyce, and Willow says that she saw someone too, but explains that something evil was tricking them. It's the big bad, Dawn, the one we knew was coming.
0: While Buffy and Xander discuss whether Spike might be siring vampires in spite of his chip, Spike arrives back at the apartment. Buffy mentions Holden Webster to gauge Spike's reaction, but Spike's give her nothing and heads off to bed, cool as Cool Whip. Buffy and Xander decide that they can't leave Spike alone until they figure out whether or not he's killed anyone lately, and since neither of them can duck out of work on account of vampire shenanigans, Xander gets Anya to vamp-sit. Anya is rightfully upset about being left alone with a maybe murderous vampire and only sunlit living room for protection. You're gonna be fine. Better be, because if I
1: get vamped, I'm gonna bite your ass. Wouldn't be the first time. Buffy returns home to the trashed house just as Willow is getting Dawn off to bed. Willow tells Buffy about the trickster evil that lied to her and Dawn, and Buffy tells Willow about Holden saying Spike sired him. Willow wonders if it might be another trick and questions how Spike could be killing again. Buffy says she has to see for herself. I have to be there to stop it. Meanwhile, armed with a stake, Anya creeps into Spike's room looking for evidence that he might have maybe killed some people recently. Spike wakes up and catches her, and Anya claims to be there for, oh, what was it? Sex. Oh, big one.
0: Spike doesn't buy it and rejects Anya's proposition. She says soulless Spike was more fun. He says he needs his pants. Spike gets dressed, and after the sun sets, he leaves the apartment with an apology for any hurt feelings, because he has things to do. Which doesn't sound ominous at all. Anya calls Buffy and Buffy trails Spike through the crowded streets. Spike passes a man playing harmonica, playing the same tune Spike was humming earlier, and Spike begins to hum along. Buffy watches from a distance as Spike chats with a woman and walks with her into an alleyway. Buffy tries to keep tabs on Spike but loses him in the crowd. Spike and the woman kiss in the alleyway and when Spike looks up, Buffy is striding towards him. Buffy smiles and reminds him that she wants him to do it, and he vamps out and bites the woman. There's my guy.
1: The woman falls to the ground, dead, and Spike realizes that something's wrong. He runs off, and Buffy shape-shifts into Spike. Later, Buffy storms into Spike's room and demands to know whether he killed the woman she saw him with. Spike says she knows he can't kill anyone, and Buffy mentions the chip. Spike says it's not the chip, it's his soul. He says, yes, he talks to women, but only because he can't talk to Buffy. He accuses her of being jealous, but explains that other women merely pass the time. It's still all about Buffy. She says, fine. In that case, tell her what happened to the woman she saw him with. Spike says he doesn't remember, but he's sure he didn't kill anyone. You were camped out on the Hellmouth talking to invisible people recently. How can you be sure of... No, you are wrong. You've got an accusation from a pile of dust and not a shred of proof.
0: At the Summer's house, Buffy calls on Anya, Dawn, and Willow to help her find evidence of Spike killing again. Dawn points out that Buffy's only proof so far is Holden's word, and there were lots of conversations with dead people going on that night that turned out to be evil trickery. But Willow points out that just because the thing was evil doesn't mean it wasn't truthful.
1: I used to tell the truth all the time when I was evil.
0: Willow discovers that there are 10 people reported missing in Sunnydale, mostly young women. Meanwhile, Spike is getting ready to leave and discovers a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. He flashes on killing the blonde woman he met at the bronze. Spike tries to leave, but Xander blocks the door to the apartment. Spike punches Xander, knocking him unconscious and activating the chip, and leaves.
1: At the bronze, Spike asks around about the blonde woman and then heads upstairs to watch the crowd. A woman hits on him before revealing herself to be a vampire he sired. They fight, Spike stakes her and drops her to the floor below. The band and the crowd are only briefly distracted. That's how it goes.
0: Man, I hate playing Vampire Towns.
1: Meanwhile, Xander comes to and calls Buffy. She talks to the bouncer outside the club where she followed Spike to the night before. He tells her Spike comes there a lot and leaves with a different girl every night. Spike calls Buffy and tells her that he's starting to remember things and he needs to see her. He gives her an address and hangs up, but as he starts to leave, he's confronted by himself.
0: You shouldn't have done that. It's not time yet. Not nearly. You're going against the plan, but we can make it work. At a house somewhere in Sunnydale, Spike leads Buffy down into the basement. Evil Spike is there as well, but Buffy can't see him real Spike shows Buffy where he thinks he buried the bodies of the people he's been killing, but evil Spike begins to sing early one morning, the tune Spike has been humming. Spike vamps and attacks Buffy, cutting her arm with a piece of broken glass. Two of them grab Buffy and hold her, and at the urgings of his evil doppelganger, Spike tastes her blood. In a split second, he remembers everything, killing people, feeding, burying bodies in the basement, and recoils in horror. Buffy dusts the newly risen vampires and goes to Spike. He offers her his heart for the staking, confused and scared by everything he's done. Buffy realizes that something has been messing with all of them, and Spike has a request. Help me. Back at the Summer's house, Buffy tells the Scoobies what happened and explains that they need to keep Spike close by if they're going to figure out what's going on. Across the Atlantic, Giles charges into the room in London to find the dead woman and the dying man. The man robson tells giles to gather them and that it has started giles says he'll take care of it as a cloaked figure swings an axe at giles's head all right kelly welcome back to still pretty and thank you so much for filling in for Lonnie this week yeah absolutely it's fun to be back so right on the heels of conversations with dead people we have sleeper what do you think
1: uh conversations with dead people is a tough act to follow but sleeper feels like part two of that episode which i like um i just don't like the cliffhanger ending you know with giles about to be decapitated because that scene feels so out of place in this conversation processing aftermath but i like this episode how
0: about yeah you? yeah the ending is so ridiculous and out of place but i really like this episode this is a return to the usual Buffy format after Mm -hmm. conversations with dead people, except that the monster of the week is processing the conversations. (laughs) And I like that a lot. I like that it is both a kind of a standard Buffy episode and not a standard Buffy episode. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I like the processing of the conversation. Like, I was glad it picked up immediately where the last one left off.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it is about... It's, it, we have to, we have to bring all of these different parts together now, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of process what happened, but figure out who knows what and who told what <laughs> to whom. And then we're sorting all of this out in this story that is also about memory, mm-hmm. which I really like. Mm-hmm. And like what you know and what you think you know. Um, I really, I really like just thematically that Spike can't remember everything. And he says when he's talking to Buffy about what he does and where he goes and what he can remember and what he can't, he says it all bleeds together, Mm -hmm. which is a great play on words, right? In this vampire, you know, world. But then at the end, it's tasting Buffy's blood that brings him back. So it all bleeds together in his memory. But then when he tastes her blood, it's like that blood is the trigger for Mm -hmm. him that does something. I mean, there's some powerful symbolism there. Yeah. That it's Buffy's blood specifically. Because it's not that it's not tasting human blood that brings him back. It's Slayer blood. Buffy's blood. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting, you know, before he remembered, you know, he says the taste of human blood that I would remember, but he doesn't. And it's not until it's Buffy's blood that that he does. And I don't know if that's because I mean, we have Spike as like the Slayer killer, right? That's that's like how he got famous. Um, It's what he's known for. It was his early work, like the second album is is still coming (laughs) along, but But that's, that was really his, you know, his legacy. Um, And then with Buffy, I don't know if that's because she is a slayer and that brings back a certain part of him or if it's because it's Buffy and it's her blood and he loves her. But, you know, his connection to her is so important throughout this whole episode. Uh, It's really well done. Um, And I, I, you know, not being able to trust your own memory is hell and i think that when he realizes you know he might have done something terrible he goes to buffy and he goes to her in a state of self doubt and he trusts her enough to say i might have been killing people and burying bodies in this basement so like it's it's a beautiful connection between the two of them um it's it's yeah it's really well done
0: yeah it's so powerful it it, I think it gets lost a little bit in just everything that's going on in the episode. But that is so powerful when he realizes something's going on and he calls her for help yeah. in this really vulnerable way where he he can't trust. He's so certain when she comes to him and confronts him about, you know, where have you been going? What have you been doing? He's so sure. That he mm-hmm. couldn't possibly be killing anyone. And he's so sure that she's jealous, which I just love. <laughs> like, I love I love his certainty. And then when that certainty starts to fall away, he calls her and really, you know, like, fearfully says, I think actually uh-huh. <laughs> maybe something's super, super wrong here. Um, which is just, I mean... Just fascinating, especially with this whole evil tells the truth theme that we've got going Mm -hmm. as well, right? Because while Spike is questioning his memory and kind of uncovering these memories and Buffy is questioning Spike and can she trust what Holden said to her about Spike's hiring him, we also have Willow and Dawn processing what the first told them and whether or not any of it was true. Yeah. And I find this, it's such, an, it's such a compelling dance, right? Of there's this evil that is out there and it's tricking us and it's lying to us, but it's also not lying to us. Mm-hmm. And how do we figure out what is true and what is not? How do I figure out what is plausible and what is not? It's fascinating.
1: Oh, it's so well done. And the way that Kind of the themes of this episode tie into the music of this episode works so well because you have, you know, Dawn's first reaction to, to what Joyce said is she was trying to protect me because that's what right. Don wants to believe, you know. And then later Dawn is like, oh, so it's true what that vampire told Buffy turned out to be true. So then she's doubting, you know, what her experience with with Joyce. Um, and, and I love, I love the line of Anya. I used to tell the truth all the time when I was evil. Like, it's so good. It's so good.
0: It's so, she's so upfront about it too, which I love. Yeah. I love, especially with the, you know, when we hear just culturally about, you know, lying is wicked, lying is evil. And this acknowledgement, you know, I, I mean, Anya's the perfect one to do it, right? But
1: yeah, I told the truth yeah. all the time. Yeah, we <laughs> tell the truth all the time. It's so good. Yeah, and and I love how, Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the early One Morning song, but that song has a shift that felt a lot to me like the way the first appeared to people in the last episode, because the song starts out, you know, it's comforting and lovely, like early One Morning, and there's this beautiful maid in the valley, and then it shifts to Oh, don't deceive me. Mm-hmm. So we have this this kind of cry for, please tell me the truth. And and that's like at the heart of what the first is attacking. Um and I just I love it. I think it's it's so smart. It's so good.
0: It's it's just it's so so well done. I mean, the whole thing is so fantastically written, mm-hmm. both thematically and also just, you know, and like the micro level of individual lines Uh in this episode delight me so much um most notably possibly is so is that all i was to you a one bite stand (laughs) i lose my mind for that joke because how long have they been sitting on that joke (laughs) like how how did it take until season seven to make a one bite stand joke. <laughs> and I'm just I just picture like Jane Espenson because you know it was Jane Espenson like gleefully rubbing her little writer fingers together like oh I got to get this line in. We got to get it in. Like that is the kind of line that you think up. And then you look for a spot to put it <laughs> in a script. And I just I I mean Maybe I'm projecting, because that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> like, come up with a joke and then look for an excuse to to slide it into a script. But it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's like the dadliest of dad jokes, and I adore it. I also love Buffy describing Spike as kind of sallow, but in a hot way. <laughs>
1: What? But also, absolutely,
0: yeah. absolutely.
1: I love. Um, Actually, Billy Idol stole his look from. Never mind. Like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> okay. That whole exchange with the bouncer,
0: yes. this guy who's not your boyfriend, guy. Like it's really great. It is. Um, it's really It's really, really good. really good. But there's also a lot of really. Um, there's a there are a lot of really wonderful lines in the more serious and dramatic and and emotionally charged way mm-hmm. right spikes whole speech about the chip they did to me the soul i got yeah you know that's powerful um a line that's in both of our notes is i can't cry this soul out of me
1: yes whoa i mean yeah yeah it's a hell of a line um and it, and it's it's an interesting take on regret right like oh yeah i can't cry this soul out of me it kind of you know it doesn't matter how bad i feel about what i've done i have this soul now and i can't get rid of it you know um yeah and i can only imagine the frustration that spike must feel when everyone still views his him as someone whose behavior is controlled by a chip and not Because he has a soul again and he's making decisions with the same conscious or the same soul that they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's in, I think that's in the performance Mm -hmm. more than in the writing. It's there in the writing a little bit when, when Buffy confronts him, but... James Marsters just kills it. Oh, okay. Yes. He has so much to do mm-hmm. emotionally, and he just he just every scene just nails it to the wall. He is so good. He's so He's good. So good.
1: He's so, so good. And speaking of things that are just good and delightful, we need a moment of Amy Man appreciation. Oh my God, yes, we do. Oh my God. I mean, first of all live music in Sunnydale where you take a three second pause after a vampire falls off the railing and crashes into dust on the floor and then just keep playing is so great. And then afterwards when Amy's walking down the stairs and she says, man, I hate playing vampire towns. It makes me laugh every time. She's so good. The music is so good. The performance is so good. The look on her face when the vampire falls and then she's like, all right, let's keep playing. It's just delightful
0: it's fantastic and if you're gonna have a musical guest have a a spoken line Mm. on the show i believe amy mann is the only one yeah um but that's the that's the hell of a line it's so excellent it's just excellent and i i go back and forth about the the world building of Sunnydale, where people know there are vampires or demons, but also not, but also yet, like mm-hmm. people are sort of alternately surprised and not by demonic or or you know vampire activity in Sunnydale. I think I prefer this approach of
1: just <laughs> oh come on, like again, <laughs> it's just... like man, I called on a payphone six times to get these tickets because. Ticketmaster is not even a thing yet. And come right? on, don't stop interrupting the show. Like, fight somewhere else. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So while we're looking at this vampire world building, like how how vampires function in and move through Sunnydale and the world of the show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? We've got this really intense back and forth curiosity investigation wondering between buffy and spike Mm -hmm. right because we're picking up right where conversations with dead people left off buffy has gotten this news about spike and now she needs to figure out you know is that true is spike killing again what's going on here and we get this fantastic three beat with buffy and spike that I just love. Mm-hmm. She is, you know, she's kind of feeling him out and and confronts him about Holden at Xander's apartment and just gets nothing. And I again, I mean, James Marster's appreciation, like he plays it so he plays it so carefully that when you're first watching it, it looks like maybe he's being shifty. Mm-hmm. Like he seems kind of oh shit she's on to me but then you watch it back and he's much more he it's much more in that sort of hesitant space of i can't really talk to buffy right. <laughs> of, i still love buffy and i can't really talk to her about what's going on um but then of course we have this scene that i keep i keep coming back to where She's followed him. She's lost him in the crowd. This woman has died. Buffy doesn't know that yet, but she's, like, she is determined to get the truth from Spike. And she confronts him. They talk. And it's some of the best Buffy and Spike to date, for my money. Yeah. In terms of they're back and forth with each other and being they're so they're so direct with each other and indirect and they sort of dance around the issues you know Buffy's not really asking what she wants to ask Spike is not really saying what he wants to say it's just fantastic it's a it's kind of a verbal and emotional slayer vampire sparring match
1: oh i like that and of course you know
0: layered on top of that or or maybe stirred into all of it is the emotional resonance between them right Mm -hmm. like one of the reasons spike is so certain that he didn't kill anyone is he has this soul which he got for buffy because he loves her I don't know. It's just, it's great. It's some of the best Buffy and Spike. And then she turns to him in the basement after that final fight is over. And he's so weak and confused. And that's when Buffy starts to put the pieces together. You know, on the heels of like all of this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting, like not quite twist on the psychological thriller. Because instead of being with Spike in his confusion, we're with Buffy as she figures it out. Which makes sense for the show, right? We know whose name is on the title. But it means that we get to feel for him instead of with him. Hmm. And I think that's such an interesting choice.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that before you expressed it that way, but it really is. It really is. It's such a great scene, it, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. But you're right, because you almost feel—I don't know—Buffy is almost in this space of doubt and protection when it comes to Spike. She wants to be wrong about what she suspects, but she also wants to help him.
0: Yeah yeah. and what I find fascinating is the implication that she's going to help him either way, yeah. She's going to help him if he's killing people and she's going to help him if he's not,
1: yeah, yeah. It's interesting for as many times as she says she doesn't love him to see all the way she behaves as if she loves him right? right? It's very
0: interesting to me mm-hmm. like this is this is this is a lot. There's a, there's a lot more here than there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot more here, period, because of everything that's been built up to this point between them. Yeah. But also what they're bringing and not bringing
1: to each other.
0: It's fascinating. This yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Um, it's, it's so good. I mean, it's, it's just, it's beautifully well done. And you know, this feels like a quiet episode. I remember thinking, you know, well, not much happens. Like, we find out Spike has been killing people. But I think it's in that quiet that some of this huge emotional resonance really builds. Like, I, I just, I think this is so fantastic.
0: And it's a great suspense thriller episode, too. I mean, that mm-hmm. scene of Buffy following Spike through the crowd... Um, I love that Sunnydale just like suddenly got a Third Street promenade. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's delightful. Um, but that scene of of uh, Buffy trailing Spike through the crowd feels very. I mean, it feels very Hitchcockian to me. It feels very suspense thriller. And then when she loses him, we shift to his perspective. Mm-hmm. So we're with him as the first comes to him as Buffy which you know that was a decision
1: (laughs) yeah I love it I love Sarah Michelle Gellar as first as as the the Buffy yes oh god yes she can bring it she's so good as dark evil Buffy I love it I love it I love it she's
0: fantastic as the first she's so good and again, I love that scene that if you're watching the first time and you don't know that Buffy has lost, but real Buffy has lost Spike in the crowd and that this is the first. Yeah. Who's approaching him. You don't, oh, oh, it's so good if you don't know. And then watching it back and the way that the, the woman that Spike has picked up. Doesn't acknowledge Buffy being there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's great! Yeah. It's so good. It's All of so the little good. hints that Spike is seeing something, but yeah, that the people around him are not seeing. I love it. Yeah,
1: and we don't hear Spike say a word when he's with that woman until after he kills her. We don't hear his voice until after he's killed. He's silent. We didn't, hear
0: his, we didn't hear him in conversations with dead people either.
1: Yep. Yep. Mm. It's so good.
0: Mm. Oh, that's interesting
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's
0: really interesting and i think you said it last time in conversations with dead people is spike spike if he's not speaking yeah interesting question yeah. right i mean we're i mean and we're examining i i think for for a good chunk of this season we're examining like who is spike Mm -hmm. right like is spike is spike spike if he's not speaking is spike spike if he has a soul um and then what's going on with the chip anyway yeah because the chip keeps coming up i mean you mentioned it earlier that everyone acts like oh spike has this chip and he's he is he's had it with being defined by I'm a vampire with a chip, especially Mm -hmm. after, you know, he goes to to get his soul to to redeem himself, to prove his love for Buffy. (laughs) But what's fascinating to me about the chip is that when Spike is under the influence of the first, the chip doesn't prevent him from killing people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Obviously, it doesn't. If it activates, it doesn't seem to affect him at all. Which seems to tie nicely to the idea that in the Buffyverse, technology is always slightly less than. Yes. You know, the example we come back to all the time is guns, right? Guns are notoriously ineffective in Sunnydale when it comes to stopping evil, presumably because guns are evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's part of my read. Make of that what you will. But I wonder if the chip follows similar rules, as in... No technology is a match for the big bad that is the first. Mm -hmm. Or is this more about the mind and altered states of consciousness? Is this about memory? Does the chip work on Spike because Spike knows it's there? On some level, he's always conscious of having the chip in his head, so he responds accordingly, except when he's in an altered state of consciousness.
1: I have no idea. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And it makes me wonder, because like one of the things we don't get from the first is like the the villain speech, right? Of here is how my evil plan has played out for the last <laughs> seven years. And let right. me now fill in many plot holes and questions that you have had. Um, but the implication is the first has been there from the beginning of the show. In in some form or fashion, like the, the first has been on the chessboard before Buffy even right. knew there was a chessboard, you know, and we had the first interacting with Angel way back in season three. And then it just kind of disappeared again. So if if you take the big picture view <laughs> and you're like, OK, well, I'm the most powerful source of evil ever. And apparently I have the ability to recruit vampires and demons and people and and all kind of helpers. To my to my evil plan, is the the trigger of that song actually built into the chip? Like, oh, right? Because I mean that could be possible. It's if it's a sleeper, like it reminds me of a Trojan horse virus in a computer oh, yeah. that sleeps until the code activates it. So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting timing. Like maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's in there. Maybe the soul overpowered the chip to the point where that could come out. Maybe getting the soul triggered a Trojan horse in the chip. I don't know. I'm making this up. There's no textual evidence to support it. (laughs) But I'm super interested in how being in that altered state can completely block pain. Because the chip doesn't stop Spike's impulse to hit. We see him hit Xander. The chip just right. causes pain when he does, right? And so is,
0: if... and he's been willing to accept that pain, right? I mean, he's not it. He, I mean, he does in this episode, but is I have this idea that there's a previous episode where he hits. I think it's Xander, and he says, "Worth it, <laughs> worth
1: it." Yeah, right. So I I wonder if this altered state, this hypnosis, basically, yeah, is so powerful and strong that he he is physiologically feeling the pain but it's not registering you know yeah. like it's it's almost an anesthetic and it does have an anesthetic quality to it because he doesn't remember what he's done after the right.
0: fact right
1: and it's, yeah. it's just it's so interesting to me and then I'm wondering really about the reach of the first like is it as good a project planner as I'm giving it credit <laughs> for being <laughs> right because you've got the, the guy playing the harmonica as Spike yeah. walks by, and it's the same song. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that, ha- that, that has to be a first minion, right? That's, that's just, has, it, ha- it has to be. and
0: It has to be. It yeah. has to be.
1: And then how do all the vampires in that basement grave wake up at the same time when they were all killed and sired on different nights? So then I'm like, can the first control all vampires? Can the first control Spike without the trigger song? Can it control a ensouled vampire? Can it control any vampire? Is the first the source of all vampires? Is the the first the demon that lives inside when a human is made a vampire? Are they all connected? And I don't know. But this is where my brain goes when I watch this No, I
0: love this. I love this, especially on the heels of conversations with dead people, right? Because... Well, okay. I have I have several thoughts, and none of them are in my notes. So let's go. <laughs> like we're just we're just just bareback on the podcast today. Okay. So can the first control all vampires? My read is yes. That's what okay. That's what I make of that last scene with the first and all the vampires in the basement. That Spike has been Spike has been acting as a minion of the first, effectively, putting all of these vampires in the ground. And I could be totally, totally off base here because I don't remember season seven at all as we have established <laughs> many times. So, you know, it's a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, but it's, it's going to be spoiler free for me because I don't know, you know, um, but... I read that as Spike has been setting this up for the first and that the first does have some control and influence over vampires because vampires, what makes, part of what makes vampires vampires is the presence of evil in them, Mm -hmm. right? Now, we're not clear. We've never really been clear on how a soul interacts with that or not you know we've theorized before that maybe the presence of a soul somehow uh, negates not negates but there's there's some sort of a balm to evil but we've seen plenty of people with souls be evil so it can't be that but it does seem like there is a connection between the evil whatever it is that exists in vampires and The first evil. Mm -hmm. I read that last fight in this episode as the first uh activating something? Question mark. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's I mean, that's one thing. Can the first control spike without the song? I don't think so. Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: think the way the first controls or seeks to control in beings is through acting on vulnerability specifically vulnerability related to love
1: Mm. right Mm -hmm. because it's
0: dawn's dawn's mother dawn's love for her mother her connection with her mother willow's love for tara that the first is spinning to to fuck with them. Yeah. Basically.
1: Yeah. And Buffy's so I- connection to Spike.
0: Right. Right. And Spike's connection to Buffy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the first, I love that the first appears to Spike as Buffy. Me too. Who he loves. But also as Spike. Mm-hmm. The first, okay, I don't, yeah, I have no idea how the first works, but, <laughs> but can I, I don't know, I don't know if the first is the source of all vampires, but I kind of want to say that the evil in a vampire or part of what makes a vampire is the presence of the first in some way.
1: I don't know. Yeah. Well, and the first is a master of emotional manipulation. um And then we get a little bit of eh, behaviorist learning theory in this episode, which yes! I will keep this short, but I have to. I have to. I have to.
0: No, you have to. You have I to. Have I'm to. so excited. I texted I you this morning and I was like, oh, no. You know what? I just realized. <laughs>
1: Amy Mann is literally singing about a Pavlonian response, right? Yes. The song is called Pavlov's Bell. The song, I'm
0: skipping ahead to my favorite part, but I have to. And then I have to hear about learning because it is, I mean, the moment that fight with the vampire he sired where Spike realizes, oh shit, something is up. Maybe Mm -hmm. my memory is not what I think it is. Amy Mann is playing a song called... Pavlov's bell in a psychological thriller that plays kind of fast and loose with conditioned reflex and sound but I don't care I'm here for it I love, yeah, it. I love yes, it I love it I love it so
1: so it's it's so interesting and we'll come back to songs in a minute um but when like behaviorism was was the the dominating theory of psychology and education you know there were there were a ton of very unethical studies about Stimuli and response. And then you got the whole idea of positive and negative reinforcement and then conditioning. And right. then you had Pavlov's idea that you could condition a physical response in a person by introducing the same stimuli over and over again. Every time Hi. you hear this bell, your mouth will salivate, you know, like this. Mm-hmm. And so while there were implications, it certainly did help with education to a certain extent a lot of the studies of behaviorism because they were conducted in a theory an isolated theory in my opinion we are breaking humans down to response and stimuli and conditioning and we're we're not looking at the cognitive and emotional processing there we are we are going to describe ourselves simply as beings of behavior conditioning and response Mm -hmm. that there was a huge space opened for how do we weaponize this oh yeah how do we use this against people can we condition someone to basically follow orders without knowing what they're doing can we positively and negatively reinforce you know something to us so the 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 potential for evil in that science is massive, and I love that being connected to the first because the first seems to be a behaviorist. Um, you oh know, yeah, so like oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's so good. Oh Even, yeah, and it's very subtle. But in this episode, when Spike is performing well according to the first, he is he is exhibiting the behaviors that the first wants. Uh-huh. The first appears as Buffy. That is a positive reinforcement. She smiles at him. She says, that's my guy. And Spike is getting that positive reinforcement for what he's done. When Spike does not behave the way that the first wants him to do, the first appears to Spike as Spike. And so his reflection of himself is a negative reinforcement. He wants to see Buffy. He does not want to see himself. So it's subtle. And I don't think they were sitting around with a psychological education textbook. But I love it.
0: I don't care what textbook they were not or were or were not sitting around with. It is so fucking brilliant. The positive and negative reinforcement of who the first appears to Spike as and the implication of that for Spike as a character yeah, right like obviously obviously we know he knows that he loves Buffy he wants to see her he wants connection with her he wants positive interaction with her we know this right mm-hmm. this is not this is not up for debate at this point but Spike's negative connection with himself yeah. That he sees himself, and that he sees himself looking like Spike. Like, the mm-hmm. the Spike that the first morphs into is a doppelganger of Spike as we're used to seeing him, right? Black t-shirt, black jacket, peroxide hair. Like, the whole, the whole deal. If you didn't know that this wasn't Spike and you saw that, you know, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. There's not a, there's not a visual, hey, this is not actually Spike. Right. Cue. That, that is who Spike sees and that, that is the voice that speaks to him when he is out of line or when he's doing something that the first doesn't want him to do. That, that is the voice and the face that tells him, basically, you fucked up, mate. She's going to kill you. Yep. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, and I say again, the first plays on, plays on vulnerability, but on the vulnerability of love, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's, the chance to be with Tara again that the first offers up to Willow. Mm-hmm. You know, kill yourself so you can be with the love of your life again. And of course, Willow doesn't doesn't fall for it because. Yeah you know not at all but i think i think spike spike doesn't seem to question seeing himself because when buffy talks to him at the end and she's trying to understand you know he's so scared and he's so confused and he really doesn't remember except that he kind of remembers he remembers all the violence he remembers everything that the that the soul is enabling him to remember and she's trying, she's trying to understand what happened. And he says it was me. And he says it with almost, almost like shame and regret. Like in that way that sometimes you'll say something to a friend like, okay, I know this sounds ridiculous, but mm-hmm. my anxiety is telling me that everyone hates me and that... You know, I will never succeed in anything. Like, it sounds ridiculous when you say it, but when you're in it by yourself, you believe it. Yeah. And I feel that from Spike so strongly in that moment when he articulates to Buffy that the thing, the evil that was pushing him to do what he was doing was himself. And how it it clearly makes sense to him and also makes no sense to him it's beautiful it is so psychologically dense in a way that as you say I'm not sure they intended yeah I'm not sure
1: they did either but I'm like oh that's what I see and I love it and and the first you know not only is playing on Spike's love for Buffy but he's playing on Spike's love for his mother and because this is foily spoiled you know we can talk about so that trigger song that early one morning is his like he thinks of that as his mother his mother used to sing that to him all the time um but when I went and read the lyrics and by the way that song's been stuck in my head for three days um but the lyrics that song is a very strange lullaby and it is a strange choice of a song to sing to your son. And it got me wondering, is that song representative of Spike's mother's story? Because we never learn anything about Spike's father. Mm. Was she a poor maid used and abandoned like that? And it ended up as a single mom um, because we, you know, we know he loves his mother. We find out later what happens with that. And it's a huge trauma for Spike. Yeah. But the first knows all of this. And what I love about that particular song is the line, how could you use a poor maid? So could also refer to the Slayers, you know, like, hey, evil Watchers Council, how could you use these girls this way? Like it resonates in both spaces to me, you know, and, and just as the sun was rising is a reprieve when you're fighting vampires. So like, I right. I don't know how much of that was intentional, but I love it.
0: Yeah. How much of the song was just, this is in the public domain, so yes, we don't have exactly. to pay anybody the rights for it. And nope. how much of it was, this is like a plausible tune. Mm-hmm. But all right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about fiction, right? Everything is a decision. Right. So whether or not it was that deeply considered, It struck a nerve. It rang a bell for a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very disappointed, by the way, to learn that something ringing a bell being tied to memory is not actually related to Pavlov, but oh well. Oh well. I was really, really hopeful. Really, really hopeful. I love the idea of that as that song, which is connected to Spike's mother, as being her story yeah oh that's so good that's so good i love it i love it i love it i can't wait to talk about spike's mother by the way that's gonna be a fun oh yeah that's,
1: it's such a good that's such a good episode too i love it I love it. I, I love that. That's uh, lies my parents told me. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. So good. Oh my god. Oh my it's god. So good. Yep. So good. Things I
0: do remember from season seven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of other things you love, you have quite a lot of happy notes about Anya. So you. Wanna... Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I do. I have. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this scene. All right. The scene. In this episode, with Anya and Spike, is one of my favorite things ever. It is so ridiculous, and I almost want to say kind of out of place Mm. in this episode. Like, tonally, it doesn't quite fit, Mm -hmm. but I love it with my whole damn heart. (laughs) Anya sneaking into Spike's closet, which I refuse to believe is a closet, first of all. That thing is bigger than at least one of the so-called bedrooms in the house I currently live in, so (laughs) whatever, whatever, whatever. But can we just acknowledge for a moment that Anya has no powers here? Yeah. She's got a stake and bravery, and that's it. She's the one who comes up with this idea that, all right, if we're going to watch Spike, if we think that he's been doing some bad shit, maybe we should like, I don't know, check out his room and see if we can find some clues. And, you know, Xander, of course, is like, oh, didn't think of that. Bye. Got to go to work. But I love love that Anya... So Anya takes it upon herself to do this thing that she... (laughs) really doesn't want to do and really isn't equipped to do and then of course spike catches her with this fantastic line do be specific and tell a fella just exactly what you're doing here yes and anya trying to lie is fantastic anya trying to lie might be one of my favorite things in the whole damn world i'm here Obviously for, um, and she, you can just like see the wheels turning and she's like, oh shit, what's the plausible explanation for why I'm here? Sex. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And then the way she passes off holding this stake up as kinky. It's just, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love this performance. It reminds me so much of Julianne Moore's bad porn acting in Boogie Nights. <laughs> there is something magical to me about watching an actor who you know can deliver a deep nuanced performance do this trying so hard you guys bad acting thing it yes oh god it is so good and so funny and something happens in this scene that i don't know I might be reading too much into this, but I will be curious to see what you think. So Anya scrambles. Why would why would I be sneaking around in Spike's room? Uh yeah, it's cuz I want to get it on with Spike cuz it was so great the last time and I just can't stop thinking about and she does, she she takes this lie and just runs with it. And then there's a moment where it seems to shift. And I don't know. I read it as a as a genuine shift. That she goes from. I got to distract Spike. Who is maybe a serial killer now. And might really hurt me. If he had a chance to. Actually this is kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. If that was the intent. In any way. But that is what I read. And part of the read. Part of my read on that. Is that. When they stop, and there's this moment of silence, and Spike says, Anya, and she goes, hmm? And (laughs) it's like, (laughs) like, like, oh no, I have done an embarrassing thing, and now we have to talk about it kind of way. It's, I hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way, way too much into this scene, but I see a shift there with Anya of, of moving from a place of brave sort of crafty trickery to actually <laughs> oh yeah <laughs>
1: hello spike I, I feel the actually hello spike real hard um because yeah. i think it was and it's funny because anya i love the fact that anya is a terrible liar because that's not who she is you know anya yeah is, is someone who who tells the truth so like i really like seeing her struggle with lying and, you know, and they say, like, if 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 you're going to have to tell a story or, you know, make something up or whatever to include as much truth as possible, which we also see from the first. Yeah. Right? Well, Anya and Spike have had sex and apparently it was really hot. So, like, when she's back in that position, I do see that shift between I was trying to distract and cover and now I'm I, I, I'm kind of liking where I'm at. <laughs>
0: kind of into it and then Uh i mean yeah i mean i love i love this scene so much it feels even though it feels kind of incongruous with the the episode and it feels out of sync a little bit with the anya we've been seeing so far this season Mm -hmm. um this anya feels much more like the anya who was just figuring out how to be human yeah. And kind of sorting out the rules of being human, including what it means to be in a human body. Mm-hmm. And when she responds to Spike's rejection with, you think I'm fat, it feels like a ridiculous out of left field kind of anti-fat non sequitur. And it totally is. Mm hmm but part of me wants to queer that line and make it a subtle criticism of the way we use the word fat to mean something other than fat and the way we equate fatness with undesirability mm. i know this is fully my queer read on this i don't i don't believe this was the intent whatsoever but it reminds me of um Cameron Esposito's bit in her stand-up special marriage material about the people in her small town not knowing the D slur for lesbian and calling her medium-sized child body fat as a way of identifying and dehumanizing her obvious queerness. Yeah. Is this line critical of anti-fatness? No. Like, no. It's not meant that way at all. But I think my my delight in this scene feeds into a desire to queer this line because then it filters into Anya trying to cover for her what i read as very real disappointment at being rejected by Spike you know she says she she says it's either that or the hair And he says, the dude's quite fetching. I love the hair. And she says, as a friend. So (laughs) (laughs) we're we're in the rejection space. We use this anti-fat label. And I want, oh God, I so desperately want it to be critical of fat as shorthand for not desirable Mm -hmm. but I don't I, I don't think it is that I think it's I think it's upholding that idea but it's such a bummer it's a
1: bummer of a it's a bummer of a line in a scene that I just adore yes yes without that line I mean the scene is just fantastic I wanted to hurl and throw things when she says that but I like your take on it and oh god I love Cameron Esposito's bit it's so good Um, And I like how I think she's responding to genuine disappointment because she says, which is like one of my favorite lines, you were a lot more fun when you didn't have a soul. Soul Soulless Spike would have had me upside down and halfway to happy land by now. And like, it's so funny, but it is, it, it, it feels like a reaction born of disappointment. And I think that that is, is genuine for her in that moment. Um, but the rest of that scene, minus that one line, is so good. But I, I just love, I love Spike and Anya together. It, they're, they're fantastic.
0: I mean, two powerhouse actors in a scene together, where they both get to do something that they're really, really good at, mm-hmm. is always delightful yeah it will always delight me anyway <laughs>
1: yes it's so good it's so good and like I kind of want to go back to the beginning when we did our overall response to the episode because in talking about it the episode is a whole lot better than I realized when we started talking like this is <laughs> really good right <laughs> Is not an interesting thing that happens you start yeah. to break something apart and you're like actually
0: yeah actually yeah this was really good so what was your favorite part? Oh my goodness. What is my favorite part of it? Th- actually, there's very little in this episode that's not my favorite part. I mean, mm. Emma Caulfield's performance, James Marshall's performance, Amy Mann's performance. Like, <laughs> it's so delightful. Um, but I think my favorite, favorite part is the music. The music in this episode mm-hmm. is so good. So, so good. I mean, I love a musical cue for Spike. Yeah. For Spike's altered state, I think that that's just such a great, just such a great storytelling beat. But the inclusion of Pavlov's Bell. Yep. When we're talking about memory and conditioned reflex a little bit. I mean, kind of, sort of. Oh, God. Just so good. So good. And just, like, that song
1: slaps.
0: That, That just... Yes, yes, please. All the music. Love it.
1: (laughs) Love it. Me too. I love it so much. What about you? What's your favorite part? I mean, the music is definitely up there for me, but it's the end when Spike holds his jacket open and offers his heart to Buffy, which he has offered to her so many times. But this time, he's offering it for her to stake him and kill him, and he's crying, and he says, do it fast, okay? They're like... He trusts her with what he's done. He trusts her to end him. But he's still offering her his heart because he loves her. And I just, oh God, I'm such a sucker for Spike. I love it. (laughs) if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in follow at chipperish on twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. or as a patreon supporter at any level you can join the chipperish discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts
0: patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like let's watch roulette where lonnie and ian martin from passion of the nerd react to a randomly chosen movie or tv show for five dollar and up supporters Well, $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly Chip Chat, where Lonnie will host a private one-hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time.
1: Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers, who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abigail, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, you were a lot more fun when you didn't have a soul.
0: <laughs> While you're waiting
1: for the next episode
0: of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or Do be specific and tell a fella just exactly what you're doing here. Kelly, thank you so much for filling in this week. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Always a pleasure (laughs) to have you on Still Pretty. Lonnie and I will be back next time with Never Leave Me, the ninth episode of season seven. Until then, how could you use a poor maid so...